This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. The Blitz is broadcasting in HD on your FM dial. Turn your HD-equipped radio to 106.9 KHTT HD2. So the game we're playing today as we welcome you back in is we're going to let the regular bumper music hit at random and then find out if that artist that has the bumper music also has Christmas songs. So did you get to preview Rob Zombie? Uh, no, nah, because you asked me a question as I was like... All right, so the first bumper that we had today was Rob Zombie. I've found two Christmas so- songs so far for Rob Zombie. Now, I think the most difficult one, Matt, will actually be the one that's just playing because I don't know if DJ Cool actually has a Christmas song or not. As awesome as Let Me Clear My Throat is, I'm not quite sure that DJ Cool would actually have a Christmas album. DJ Cool does not. I just looked it up. All right. Yeah. All right. But so- attempt was made. One for two so far here today on the eve of Christmas Eve. Welcome in, everyone. I hope that uh, you've had a good day so far. We have completely mailed it in, and we will continue to do so up until (laughs) 6 o'clock this evening where we can finally turn off the microphones. And we can go home and sleep. And then we can go home and uh, try to cure some of the illness that is and has continued to exist here on the Blitz 1170. Uh, with that said, let's welcome in our next guest. You might know him from Rivals. He is a recruiting recruiting extraordinaire, and he's joining us now here on the Blitz 1170. His name is uh, Nick Harris, joining us now via the Oklahoma Ford Dealers Hotline. Nick, what's going on, man? Happy holidays to you. Hope that you're doing well today, um, and maybe some of the craziness has started to subside on your end. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm, I was cracking up during that intro. I, if he has a Christmas song, that that would be news to me as well. But uh, <laughs> I, y'all are going to have to let me know on that. <laughs> I don't think that he does. I did just a very light Google search right before, and that nothing popped up immediately with DJ Cool. That doesn't mean, though, that he hasn't made an appearance on some other's maybe Christmas album, but... Uh, If I find one, I will definitely be sure uh, to let you know and pass that along. So um, I my first question for you is, I think we all have an understanding of just how weird the entire Peyton Bowen situation was. But I'll say this, man, dude, you took a beating. You took a beating from a lot of people when that happened. And I thought that it was pretty unfair. And everyone else that had predicted him going to Oklahoma, I thought it was a little unfair as well. Because that entire scenario, just the way that it played out, felt odd from the get-go. From the entire Italian restaurant to the you know, the, oh. the, the admitting, hey, I had no idea where I was going until I sat down and actually put the hat on. The whole thing was just complicated and very weird. So I'll give you the floor. How complicated was the entire Peyton Bowen situation in general? Yeah, incredibly complicated. And in fact, probably one of the more complicated recruitments that I have ever covered. Um, And it had kind of started building towards this, you know, as we entered the month of December. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of context that I think will be interesting whenever we do finally get the chance to sit down and, and really figure out what happened behind the scenes from the very beginning. But, you know, for full context, he committed to Notre Dame on uh, January 1st of this year. And, um, you know, the family was, you know, pretty support, so supportive of that decision going into January 1st. 
And then uh, as the signing day approached, Oklahoma was making a strong push. He had felt the desire to go play with Jackson Arnold, his high school teammate and lifelong friend at Oklahoma. And there were some other factors as well. His girlfriend's also going to play OU soccer. And he had a really good uh, um, uh, relationship with the coaches as well. And, um, you know, as signing day neared, it, it started to get a little bit more complicated behind the scenes. And then it just went complete chaos with the Oregon commitment not sending in the letter and then signing to Oklahoma later that night and announcing it yesterday. Just uh, one of the crazier signing day um, fiascos I've ever been a part of. How much more complicated is it now for some of these kids considering what opportunities potentially are out there with NIL, all the collectives as well? Has How much has it kind of muddied the waters to an already muddy situation in general? Yeah, you know, for, for certain recruitments, it definitely, um, you know, makes things flip on a dime a lot more, uh, which makes our job a little bit more difficult uh, than it was before the NIL era. But, you know, that's that's something that everyone's had to adjust to and, and kind of figure out the landscape. You know, the, the, the strange thing about NIL is that no one had any expectations of what it was going to look like when it got here. And so everybody is still to this day, you know, um, about a year and a half after they passed the NIL rule, um, still trying to navigate how it changes things, whether it be with recruitments or transfer portal, et cetera. Um, but honestly, with the Peyton Bowen recruitment, you know, there was a lot of NIL buzz kind of around the entire thing. But I, I don't see the final decision being based off NIL. And I don't think that was Peyton Bowen's uh, desire the entire time. Had he ended up somewhere else, maybe, um, you know, there was uh, an NIL opportunity with Oregon that I think would have satisfied, you know, those uh, requirements for him to be a quote unquote NIL recruitment. But I think when it came down to the end of it, it was more so um, relationships that he had, not only with the coaching staff, but, you know, with his peers that were going to go off to Oklahoma as well. As I try to remind everyone, these are sometimes 17 and 18 year old young men. Um, and you, I, I, coming from someone that used to be a 17 or 18 year old young man, um, <laughs> I can tell you life is incredibly complicated at times and you can make it even more complicated. I thought that his post yesterday, uh, which he explained everything that went on, I thought showed a certain level of maturity, uh, and maybe went a long ways for everyone that might've had something negative to say about him. Now, maybe Notre Dame fans feel different and Oregon fans feel different, but that's fine. But in general, I thought that the post was well-received of just saying, hey, I absolutely could have handled this better. Uh, I will learn from this, and I want to thank everyone that at least gave me an opportunity. That, to me, uh, shows a, a certain amount of maturity with a young man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I had heard yesterday going into um, you know, him signing, uh, and, or him announcing, rather, was uh, you know that he really just wanted to be done with everything. And I, I think he approached it the best way he could and explaining things from his point of view without having to go too in-depth and personal. Um, and I think he did a really good job with it. And, you know, the, the, the chaos has at least quieted down. He'll play in the Under Armour All-American game here in a couple weeks in Orlando. So, you know, maybe he'll get some uh, a little bit of pestering then. But uh, other than that, you know, he'll enroll at Oklahoma next semester and uh, maybe move past this. How was the pasta at the Italian joint? Which, dude, you you won Twitter with that, following along with you on that and seeing you kind of returning to the scene of the crime. Uh, the dish with uh, shrimp looked delicious, so how was it, and did it taste that much better uh, after everything that had gone down? <laughs> 
Absolutely. It was a, it was a 10 out of 10 meal. I, I, I can't lie. It was real. I got some stuffed mushrooms that I didn't put in the, uh, uh, in, in the post either that were uh, devoured before I even thought of the opportunity. So a <laughs> uh, really good restaurant. If y'all are ever in Denton, hit up Gentee's and you can see not only uh, uh, a historic site, but also have a good meal. <laughs> so what is the big takeaway, at least from your responsibilities and kind of your coverage area from, from signing day on Wednesday? Uh, say that one more time. I'm sorry. What's your takeaway from Wednesday in general from the region that you paid the most attention to? What what stood out to you and what are the big storylines uh, that we are now kind of moving past the the 20, you know, this this class? I know there's so much already pushing forward on to 2024, but the 23 class with the early signing day period, what's your big takeaways? Um, you know, I, I, I think it's I'd be remiss not to mention the, the Peyton Bone situation, of course, first and then. Uh, other than that, Texas had a really big signing day, um, landing uh, uh, Utah four-star linebacker Tosili Akana, bringing him in, signing their entire class, which included Arch Manning, uh, Cedric Baxter, who's a high four-star running back out of um, Edgewater, or excuse me, Orlando, Florida, um, and then landing DeAndre Moore, who's a four-star receiver from St. John Bosco last night. So, you know, pretty strong signing period uh, for Texas. Uh, looking around the Big 12, not a whole ton of surprises. You know, Austin Novosad flipping from Baylor to Oregon uh, was definitely a, a big early uh, flip on signing day. Happened right at 7 a.m. It definitely helped me a little bit, and it gave me the rest of the, the day to focus on Peyton Bowen uh, stuff. But uh, the Novosad flip was incredibly notable, um, and Oregon being able to flip him. Uh, he's a four-star quarterback from Dripping Springs, Texas, down in Central Texas, uh, and he was committed to Baylor for over a year. And then on signing, they made the flip. So uh, a tough loss there for the Bears. And they're still trying to sign one last piece to their class, uh, four-star linebacker Corey Kelly out of uh, uh, Clear Falls, uh, uh, south of Houston. Uh, but looking around the rest of the Big 12, um, you know, most of the classes are, are pretty much sealed. And, uh, you know, there's some fun classes. I really like what Texas Tech put together from an athletic perspective. They, all, they have a lot of really fun athletes in that class that – have played basketball during high school, have run track and have qualified and won state championships in track. So, you know, that I think that's a really fun class. TCU has put together a really strong class off of their playoff berth. Um, all around, I think the Big 12, you know, most uh, about eight of the 10 teams really exceeded expectations this year. I want to talk to you about just the, the competition in general that exists there uh, in Texas. You know, UT and A&M kind of speak for themselves here, but with the addition of Sonny, and the type of year that he had. Then you throw in Joe McGuire that's out there in Lubbock. Are, and you can't forget about Dave Aranda at Baylor as well. What type of level of competition are we talking about? And and is it as high as you could, has ever seen with the amount of dynamic recruiters that we have now in all of these different positions located across the state? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, Texas is every single year recruiting battleground, whether it be with in-state schools or schools from outside of state borders coming in. Um, you know, it's, at times Oklahoma and LSU almost feel like an in-state school as well. Uh, and then Oregon did a really good job in this cycle as well. Ohio State has done a good job in the past. So uh, always a big battleground in the state of Texas. But talking about the teams in the state of Texas, um, yes, these first-year staffs at TCU and Texas Tech have done a phenomenal job on the recruiting trail. Um, it's definitely hurt some other programs. It's hurt Baylor uh, for sure. Um, uh, both TCU and Texas Tech will finish above Baylor in the team rankings. Um, and then Texas A&M, you know, despite their five and seven season, they still finished strong and had some really strong commits down the stretch and signed a pretty impressive class. 
Um, but yeah, it's shaping up for these next two to three years to really be um, a really fun time covering recruiting in the state of Texas, especially with the emergence of Houston as well. You know, they were able to flip a four-star wide receiver from Texas back in October, and he signed this week without any drama or anything. So that's a big land for the Cougars, and they also have a four-star running back committed out of Houston. So, you know, once Houston joins the Big 12, they'll enter that mix as well for being able to get some highly ranked recruits. Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt at all uh, that that will be the case. And we were we were kind of keeping an eye on some of those new teams that were moving into the conference in general. But I want to go back real quick to to TCU's class right now via rivals. What's setting about uh, 19th is uh, where their overall class is at. And then they got some pretty good news as well for their future signal caller from 24. I saw you tweeting about that. Uh, but overall, a really solid class for the uh, TCU uh, Horn Frogs uh, coming off of their very first little trip to the college football playoff. I was rather impressed with what Sonny put together. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about a couple of names in the class, you know, they were in some big heavyweight battles. Um, I think the biggest was Marcus Steele being able to land a four-star defensive tackle out of Garland in the DFW area. Um, he had Texas and Georgia that were trying to land his commitment down the stretch as well, and he chose TCU. Um, and that's credit to staff not only being able to build that earlier relationship once they got to Fort Worth, but also building on that. And then obviously the success on the field definitely played a huge role in that as well. Also early evaluations played a really big part. Um, Four-star wide receiver Cordell Russell out of North Mesquite. Uh, whenever Sonny Dykes was at SMU, he locked in his commitment rather early on. And then once he made the, T the move to TCU, Cordell was almost right behind him and uh, went ahead and signed in the class and never really took visits anywhere else. It was pretty locked in. So, you know, they've had the benefit of not only having early evaluations work out for them but also being able to land some big time recruits along the way and then also guys that can contribute immediately uh, one of the best uh, juco players in the nation uh, Channing Canada out of Trinity Valley Community College in uh, Athens Texas uh, the top cornerback uh, in the country uh, top juco cornerback in the country per rivals uh, he'll be able to contribute immediately for TCU next year and, and fill in the holes that they'll try to replace in that defensive secondary but uh, overall really strong class I really like what TCU put together how much busier is your life now with uh, with transfer portal and trying to keep up with what's happening during this time of the year and my next question on that would be at some point the calendar can't sustain this I don't feel like the calendar probably needs some significant change on it but how much busier is your life with with portal news you know fortunately I'm not uh incredibly um invested in our portal team okay. necessarily they, they they like me being in the, the recruiting space and focusing a lot of uh, stuff on that but if something crossed my desk and it comes to me and, um, you know, I have the opportunity to, you know, report on some transfer portal things, I, I definitely do it. But, um, you know, almost about 90, 80 to 90% of my attention is on recruiting. But, you know, as, as we get a couple of weeks into, uh, um, you know, after the signing period and some portal uh, things start to shake out, you know, there, there might be some news down along the way, but we have a great portal team at rivals that has done a great job of covering the transfer portal as well. And I, I like to just kind of leave it up to those guys at times too. They've done a really good job with it. Does it though? Cause you hear people talk about uh, the impact that it's had, how much of an impact has it had on just the, the high school recruiting front? Cause you hear various yeah. stories. Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely had an impact. You know, if, um, I, I'll give you kind of a hypothetical you know, pretend you are this, you know, four-star corner um, out of, you know, DFW, and you're down to, you know, four or five schools approaching signing day. Uh, you know, if you're one of those four or five schools and you're really banking on having some secondary help next year and you have an opportunity to get a guy in the transfer portal and go ahead and take that spot so you have it in hand, 
you're almost forced to do it. And that leaves the high school kid without an option that he maybe would have even chosen. And, you know, that trickles down all the way towards, um, you know, kids that are at the FCS level and uh, FCS kids either losing or FCS teams either losing kids to the transfer portal or bringing some in from the Division II level. You know, the, the spots get moved around so much. I think it affects the group of five game probably the most just because there's so much fluidity before and after bowl season with guys coming in, guys going out, and it's really tough to recruit at that level. So, yeah, I agree. I think the schedule does need a little bit of changing. What does it need to look like? I'm not sure, but um, I, I think it definitely does need some changing here in, about it, uh, in this next offseason. Well, there's no doubt, uh, and uh, I can't wait to see what uh, and what happens and how this continues to evolve uh, over the uh, over the future months. So on to uh, on to 24. I know there's no rest for the wicked, right? For for you guys at all in uh, covering recruiting, there's really no down period at all. Uh, we wish you the best of luck of that. And Nick, I can't thank you enough for taking a few moments to come on with us here in Tulsa, giving us a little bit more of info, and uh, we'll keep an eye on the Peyton Bowen story as it continues to evolve. And wish him the best of luck, and you as well. And I hope you have a very happy holiday, my man. I appreciate it, guys. Merry Christmas. Mm, Merry Christmas. That is uh, Nick Harris joining us here via the Oklahoma Ford Dealers Hotline on the Blitz 1170 on this eve of Christmas Eve, Matt. Good stuff. Good stuff. Kind of gave you a little bit more of an insight. Sound like um, maybe you need to hit up a a few more of uh, his sources when they get a chance to kind of all come together and find out more of the inner workings behind the scene. But that's one thing, right, that we had talked about even off the air, which was he always kind of wanted to go to Oklahoma in the first place. Yeah, and, you know, I'll I'll probably look a little bit more into that next week and see if there's anything that's really come out about why he chose Oklahoma in the end and if he actually wanted to go to OU. And it seems like that's where he wanted to be the whole time, though. It does seem that way, and now here he is for sure all right it's 215 take a time out were you previewing the rob zombie version of christmas oh uh, yeah it's not good it's no not good. it's not good no it, it's a cover by someone else so oh okay yeah it's it's not rob zombie well we're oh for two then yep <laughs> all right we'll find out what song's coming up next and whether or not that they have a Christmas album right here on the Blitz 1170 on this Friday edition. I almost feel like I have to play us out with like more Philadelphia Eagles Christmas music, correct? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. Without you, I'll be so blue just thinking Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.